to Hollywood. I am Sonny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark. I'm very pleased to be joined today by my friend uh, and colleague of sorts, uh, Alan Zilberman. Alan is a film critic for the Washington City Paper, and he's a freelance critic for the Washington Post. Uh, he is also a member of the Washington, D.C. Area Film Critics Association, and that is what we are here to talk about today. We, uh, we The WAFGAs, we had our big awards this weekend. We, we, we awarded many uh, important and good movies, Alan. How are you doing? How are you? How are you? Uh, and how are you feeling about the Wafka Awards? Uh, thanks for having me on, Sonny. I'm doing well, and I'm. Uh, I feel pretty good about the Wafka Awards this year. I'm not not great. Rarely great because my favorite film is very rarely rewarded. Yes, we'll get it. We'll get into this in a minute. I so the reason I'm I'm having you on the show today is because I want to expose. Uh, the average listener to what it's like to be a uh, essentially a part-time critic um, at a at a uh, at a in in a film writers association that awards uh, awards every year um, uh, because it's it's a it's a little bit it's weird it's weird and awkward because what happens uh, for those of, for those of you who don't know out there what happens is every year we get deluged. At the end of the year, with screeners, we get we get movies that uh, either aren't out yet. In I should our... interrupt you, Sonny. You should probably say to your audience what a screener is. Sure. So a screener is essentially uh, well, they take different forms, right? So a screener in in the most common parlance of our times means a DVD that is watermarked and and uh, it is it is either of a movie that has already come out or a movie that is yet to come out is out in like new york and la and but not yet in dc and we get these so we can watch them at home we can watch all the movies all the award season movies and uh it's a little bit it's it's become a little bit different in recent years now instead of getting you know a, a hundred dvds in the mail we get like 17 different streaming apps that we have to sign up for to to watch the movies on uh which is which again I actually think is more convenient because a the, the quality is higher on the image. It's not crappy DVD. It's actually 1080p, but it is it is kind of a pain in the ass figuring out what to watch and where. So so uh, describe to me what your film watching process is like for the last month or so of the year, Alan. How do you how do you get through all these? Should I talk about the differences that last year was very different than the years prior? Well, this so, this year, this we'll get to we'll get to the difference between this year and, and years past in a minute. So generally, my my process is that I see I just kind of play catch up, and I'm trying to watch as movie as many likely contenders as possible in a short period. Right. So when we when we're talking about likely contenders, how do we how do you determine what is a likely contender? I just I don't know. Reading variety. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I just you know, like like you said, we're a second tier city. Usually, the New York Film Critics cir Circle announces their awards pretty early, and I and you know if they're like putting a spotlight on a particular title, I'm like, oh, I should probably watch that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 weird uh, being being a again, being being a place where, you know, the 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 movies don't come out right away because we do have to kind of guess at what is going to be. But this is, I think, part of the problem with the whole process is this process of guessing what is going to be, you know, popular and and a big hit come award season. Right. Like I nominated a bunch of movies this year. I just I just said 
screw it because it's such a weird year, as you said. Uh, you know, what, well, why don't you explain to the people why this year is so different from years past? For so critics? one one additional thing about being a critic in an award body in this particular period period during a normal year is that usually we vote at the beginning of December or yeah, beginning of December, beginning of December. Yeah. yeah, And in November, October, November, there's special screenings in a theater where we watch a lot of titles very quickly. And, and often at weird times of the day, it's often at like, you gotta be, you gotta be at the East, the landmark East street at 2 PM uh, to watch, to watch the new Scorsese or whatever. Exactly. One thing that comes to immediately to mind is many years ago, um, there was a double feature of an entire afternoon, basically, where it was um, American Hustle followed by The Wolf of Wall Street. Like they were like within half an hour of each other, yeah. basically. And um, it's, I'm sorry, what was your question? Well, just how different this year is to the oh, yeah. to previous so, years. So we usually, so I usually, we usually see a lot of stuff in theaters very quickly, but now between all these delayed release dates and all this delayed prestige a delayed prestige calendar everything's at home and to speak to your point earlier what's usually something that we award in early december is now being awarded in early february right and part of the problem is we we uh, as a critics group decided to tie it to the oscar release schedule which i have like i have a mild objection to insofar as like if we're going to be awarding the best movies if we're going to be talking about the best movies that came out in 2020 then i am uh, i'm i'm not uh, entirely sure it's uh, it's appropriate to be rewarding movies that are frankly coming out in february for most of the country movies like nomadland right nomadland's going to come out in theaters and on and on hulu in february and it's it qualifies for the oscars because they changed the the window this year but it but it i i find that i find that vaguely annoying i also we should also add for your listeners that Nomadland won Best Film from the DC Film Critic Association. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll get to the, we'll get to the winners in a second. Uh, no, <laughs> Nomadland was a big winner, kind of kind of up and down the the list. Um, uh, but it, it like I so like I just as a as a matter of like general principle, am uh, I am annoyed that that we are pegging it to the uh, the Oscar season instead of the annual calendar. What do you what do you think about that? Alan, is I, that is that an appropriate thing to do for the critics? I I am vaguely annoyed as well. Um, I think just kind of following the Oscars is silly, and we should kind of adhere to our own rules rather than one that's dictated by uh, the motion pic um, by AMPAs, right? Um, right. And the Academy also, of Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences is that yes, right? Is that and I also think that, and this is a problem that I have with award season generally, is that there's a lot of recency bias, and I feel like this just amplifies it, which goes to show to your earlier point, where a film that has that's coming out in February of 2021 is considered the best film of 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's like I I I always have an issue with this, and this is a this is a problem with award season and the like movie release cycle calendar just in general. Just in general, the the backloading of, you know, quote unquote movies for adults into the last two months of the year is is bad for, I think, the industry in general. But it's also bad for all of these individual movies. So many so many things get lost in the shuffle. 
Absolutely. And I think uh, another problem is that what's actually, I think, oftentimes a great film comes out a little bit earlier in the year. So, for example, um, my favorite film last year was Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. And that came out in what, like May, June-ish, yeah. right? And, and yeah. I feel like it's just been largely disregarded. It, with the exception of Delroy Lindo's performance, um, which we can talk to, we can talk about his snub at the <laughs> Wafkas this year. Uh, but I, I think Delroy Lindo is getting a lot of uh, a lot of praise, and rightfully so. He he gives a, a very powerful performance in that movie. Um, but I, I didn't I didn't love the the thing as a whole. Uh, that's neither here nor there. You're right. The problem is we 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 you know kind of this movie comes out and everybody talks about it for two weeks and then we forget about it. Um, and, and that's a, that's a, that's a real problem. And it, again, like this is, this is a structural thing that I, I don't really have a good recommendation for how to change because recency bias is real. Um, mm. people remember the thing they saw most recently and that, that heavily weights the award season discussion. Similarly, there's something else that I, that I think we should talk about, which I think is very bizarre considering the company is that we sometimes get swag as a member of yes. this critic body and Netflix in particular sends us these really nice books like <laughs> that are dedicated to one film. They're like hardcover. They're just like beautifully pressed. And they're, like, I, I've, and, they're literally like $80 books. The Roma one was like 200. Yeah. I, like it's crazy. These, these books that they send, I have one, I'm looking at one right now, just on my desk. It was for the Irishman from uh, that was printed by As Asuline. Asuline. Yeah, I don't know, but like this is this is the company that does their like fancy coffee table books, and it's I like I don't know what to do with it because I don't want to throw it away. It's a no, nice book, but yeah, I also my, don't want to like use it because I feel like a, I feel like a total friggin' hack. My, my my wife uses it to prop up her laptop. This is also. You, you mentioned the Roma one. I'm actually using it right now, literally right now, as a as a stand, uh, <laughs> as part of my book stand, um, uh, to to give me a slightly better angle on the the camera. The the uh, no, but I, I think swag. I so you, I'm glad you brought this up actually, because it's one of the things that drives me craziest about critics is when critics get boxes of crap from companies, and then they tweet out the photos of their box of crap. Like, look at me, I. I'm so special. I get this box of crap. And I, uh, I, 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 first off, I'm like, have some self-respect, but also it's just like, this is, it's about ethics and film criticism, man. You can't just, you can't just accept all this stuff and then talk about how great it is. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, you know, I'm not a monster. If someone sent me like a <laughs> bottle of nice whiskey, I would drink it. But of course. I, I, well, you don't want I, it to go to waste. Yeah. I, uh, there are starving children in China have, who have no bottles of whiskey. But I, I certainly wouldn't brag about it. Yeah. I just think it's, I think it's really unbecoming. I think it's a bad, I think it's a bad look, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I also look. just think broad, broadly speaking, our, our relationship to studios should be more adversarial than a lot of these people would have it. Well, I, yes, uh, I'm, uh, I don't, I don't think we want to get into the whole promising young woman thing, but that, that whole saga uh, with Variety apologizing for their review, you know, as part of the promising young woman uh, uh, Oscar campaign has been really distressing for me to to see play out as listeners mm -hmm. of my various podcasts know. Yeah, but it's but it's encouraging, however, that like now I think the critic community community is pushing back a little bit more than they were, say, a month ago. Yeah, yeah, it took a, it took a while, but they finally got on on board with the fact that this is totally 
bonkers. Um, all right, so let's talk about the Wafkas a little bit. Let's talk sure. about the actual uh, award winners. So the way our uh, the way our uh, organization is set up. You know, some some of the critics groups, and I'm actually kind of jealous of this. I wish I could take a whole day off of work and hang out with all of you lovely people in the Washington area film critics association. Well, you don't live in the Washington film area. Anymore. Well, I don't know. I'd have to like zoom in. I'd have to. I'd have to zoom in now. But the uh, but you know some of the some of the some of the critics groups. I know New York does this. I think LA, LA. usually does this. Um, they get everybody together. They like rent out a room at a hotel or whatever, and yeah. everybody gets together and they. They like debate who should be the winners, and they have rounds of voting and all that. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoy watching. I enjoy watching like some of the more uh, dyspeptic uh, uh, folks in the group kind of t- live tweet the whole thing. Like I know Kyle Smith does this, uh, you know, every every couple of years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but the but the the I, I love the I love like watching the nitty gritty of it. And I wish we did something like that. Instead, what we do is we all submit our nominations, right? We all it's all send secret it. ballot, yeah. And it's, it's all just secret, all ballot. done online. It's all done online. We have a we 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 have some you know internal discussions beforehand, but the, it's always hard to see who is actually you know paying attention to any of this stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's basically we're all, everybody's on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, early, a couple of years ago, uh, we a friend of ours, Matt Cohen, who used to I, I don't know if he's still a member, but he and I would like do our ballots together to try and. Try and game the system. Look yeah, at this. Exactly. Smart. Should invite it. I want in on. I want in on the system gaming. Uh, no, but I. But it's. But it because of the way that it works. The nominations are weighted. You know, your first choice is exactly gets five points. Bottom choice gets one point. Um, it it makes sense to do that because you can actually you can if you if you get three or four people to you know make something the top choice, it's got a good chance of mm-hmm. getting a nomination. Um, but this leads me to my my big complaint with the way that all of this works is that. Because it's a secret ballot and because we kind of do the nominations, uh, you know, on our own, judging, you know, kind of what other critics groups are, are, are you know, are, are awarding and, and paying attention to, we end up, like, not really having that many interesting choices, even in the nomination phase and especially in the, the winner phase. I mean, this year, I, look, I wasn't expecting, um, I was not expecting, say, uh, movies like Fat Man and The Wolf of Snow Hollow to rack up awards at the Wafkas. I I picked I put I put I put entry I put uh, nominees from from those films in a lot of different categories because those were I t- I think two of the most interesting pictures of the year. But there there are definitely if we if we had everybody coming together and we're talking about this in a real way there there are things that could have been interesting like. For instance, here's maybe this is controversial. I don't know, but Betty Gilpin got a lot of praise for her work in uh, The Hunt. Everyone was like, you know, The Hunt, The Hunt may not be a great movie, but Betty Gilpin is fantastic in it. And I think it would have been nice to have like an actual conversation about her work in that movie and like have everybody come together and talk about. Maybe she gets a nomination, maybe she doesn't, but it it would have been at least something different, something something a little unusual instead yeah. of here. Let me just read the actual uh, nominees for Best Actress. We had okay. uh, Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand, Nomadland, Elizabeth Moss, The Invisible Man, and Carrie Mulligan and Promising Young Woman. I think, uh, for what it's worth, I think Elizabeth Moss was like one of the few actually interesting choices, and I thought it was a very good performance. Yeah, I, th- oh, I thought she was. I thought she was good, but I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's an unusual pick uh, this year in the award season. I mean, I, I feel like she's getting a fair amount of, of, of praise and yeah, accolades. I completely agree that um, the that there's a little there's a lot of second guessing on a on the part of the member because it's a secret ballot and there's not an open discussion. 
And this is something that you and I have talked about before is that um, for ex I really liked the the small acts and like the Steve McQueen's thing. And I didn't, I legitimately didn't know whether we were treating it as a film that was under consideration for this body or if it was considered TV. Right. And right. Like, so uh, I'm fine for, with for... either one, but I, I just would have liked more openness about something like that, you know? For everyone who's listening, the Small Axe uh, anthology was a uh, what's five movies by Steve mm -hmm. McQueen that yes. was released by uh, released by Amazon on their on their Prime Video service. But there there was a question about it because Amazon is actually treating this uh, as a TV show. They're submitting it to the Emmys, not the not the mm -hmm. Oscars. Um, and furthermore, on top of that, there was a question of how to look at the individual should should each individual title be the thing that is under consideration or should the series as a whole? I think uh, the LA film critics treated it as a series. So did New York. Uh, as a whole. And so did New York, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the I like, I thought that was, I thought that was ridiculous because Small Axe isn't a movie. It's it's a series of movies. It's like a collection of movies. Each individual movie, uh -huh. like Lover's Rock or, or whatever, like those are the individual films that should have been considered. Yeah, and and that, factored into my thinking as i was submitting my nominations because for example i really loved lovers rock mm -hmm. but i didn't know whether i should like i didn't want to waste my ballot and yeah. like put it there if nobody else was considering it i think that none of those movies ended up getting nominated for anything correct is that am i, so am I, I wrong? actually i put down yeah. um i put down Stephen mcqueen for like best director for small acts and i thought he did a really great job i think he's a great d director but you know like yeah. that didn't make the cut at all Right, right. And this is again, this is this is part of the problem with our 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 process in particular is uh, there's so much it, there's so much trying trying to figure out what it, you want to nominate things that will get nominated. Like you want to nominate things that get a, that have a shot. Usually most years, most years, this is the game I play, too. I'm like, well, I guess Martin Scorsese will probably get nominated for The Irishman. I like that. I want to I want to I want to, you know, help him out there. Or do I want to do this or do I want to do yeah. that? This year, I just threw I just. I just threw my hands up and was like, I'm nominating my five favorite films of the year, even though none of them are going to get Best Picture nominations. Yeah, and, and, and that's something I'm completely sympathetic to, because, like, although your taste and mine are, the Venn diagram of it is a little bizarre, I end up just going with my favorites as well. Like, I really, I pushed, for example, for the Romanian Documentary Collective, and, like, that was one of my favorite movies of the year. So but, many and, subtitles. <laughs> but, and, and it was... And I put it under foreign film, and it wasn't. Um, it didn't make the the short the the list of the five nominees, which is ironic because yesterday it was announced that it made the short list for best foreign film. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the awards. The big winner, I think, is fair. It's fair to say was Nomadland. Nomadland yes. uh, uh, won best film. The nominees were First Cow, Minari, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and Promising Young Woman. Um, uh, and then just a, uh, like, just a terrible, like of all the things that came out, I think it's like a bad combination of five films. Yeah. It's it, not again. I, I can't tell if this was not a great year or if it's just, if it's just such a weird year that it's hard to, to pick out the, uh, the movies that, that were really, that were really great. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I my 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 feeling is that every year is a great year. Like, there's always stuff that's like to get excited about and to celebrate. But um, a, a lot of a lot of a lot of was just kind of lost. So maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it's just like hard 
to see like what really resonated. Yeah. I mean, I do think that the, 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 uh, fact that 2020 was so fractured and so hard to kind of follow with everything coming out, you know, uh, uh, the funny, uh, the movie that I thought might've been the funniest movie of the year was Palm Springs. That came out on Hulu. I have no idea how many people watched it. I think um, it, was a, it was a, I mean, who knows? Like we've talked about this before, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. like streaming six, who knows? But I thought it was really funny too. Yeah. Uh, or, or like, uh, you know, again, I really liked Fat Man. I really liked The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Those are two movies that did very well on VOD, but aren't actually on any streaming services yet. So, mm-hmm. like, nobody nobody really watched them. Right. And to speak to your point, I think one of the better movies that came out last year was this one called Bad Education, which was put on HBO yeah. And just like put on like the network, even though it's but but like this is a, and normally it wouldn't be under consideration. But so many things were theatrical exclusives that I thought it was kind of bizarre to exclude it, especially considering a it was a great film and b like Hugh Jackman is terrific in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Nomadland. What did you what did you make of Nomadland? I like Nomadland. I thought it was um it was more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I thought Francis McDormand was good. I liked what Chloe Zhao did with light and with um, with with uh, like with cam her camera work. I thought was very good. Uh, yeah. I I actually I don't know how to pronounce it. David Straithern. How do you say his last name? Stra- Straithern. Straithern. I think. Yeah, I thought I he know. was really good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. What did you think? It's fine. Uh, I I liked it more than the writer. I'm not. Uh, it's it, it definitely was not my. I did not nominate it uh, in in best film or any other category. Uh, I, I thought it was perfectly fine. Mm. Um, and this is how I feel about a lot of these awards. Like for instance, Chadwick Boseman winning uh, best actor for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I I actually I don't hate this choice because I thought Chadwick Boseman was very good in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I am a little bit surprised that he beat out Delroy Lindo, however. I, like, I think Delroy Lindo gave one of the, one of the, I don't know, most powerful performances of the, of the, uh, the year by far in, in Spike Lee's Defy Bloods. So the, I, I wonder how much of this is like a posthumous bias sure. and also the fact that Delroy Lindo played a Trump supporter. <laughs> Well, yeah, there, there was, there's that, there's that uh, aspect to it as well. But I mean, he's not a super sympathetic Trump supporter. I mean, it's, it's, it, this, it's a fascinatingly layered, uh, not only performance but also uh, um, uh, creation by Spike Lee. I think. I mean, I think he's not, he's not a, he's not a, you know, um, stereotype. He's, he's something very weird and interesting and deep. Yeah, I completely agree, and that also speaks to me like why that it's such a snub that it wasn't nominated for best film. To like, I don't know. Look, to me, it struck me as like a real ass movie. Like it, like it reminded me of like you know, um, what was it? Uh, what's the one with Bogart? Uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Treasure of the Sierra Madre, right. Yeah, and and like just, you know, a movie about like war and race and like with all these interesting characters. It was like an action movie, but it was also very, it was like melodramatic in a good way. Like I I just... Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the the nominees again and and the, I like... one night in Miami, which which I've seen and is again fine. It was fine. Uh, is fine. That beating out Defy Bloods, I thought was uh, frankly bizarre. Um, uh, yeah. You know, if you're if you're going to look at these as kind of 
uh, as, as kind of similarly, I mean, like they're like not to get all Malcolm and Marie, right? But they're they're like you know movies movies about race, uh, which, sure. which makes it. And I think I think to to speak to your other earlier point is that um, the thing about One Night in Miami is that it it always seems like a stage adaptation. It's an adaptation of a play, like the playwright wrote his adaptation. Mm-hmm. The same with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah. And I think unless you're like Mike Nichols or somebody, like directing a play is kind of like a losing game. And I thought Regina King did a pretty good job with the material, but to me as like a great you know she was like just kind of like giving the opportunities and an opportunity for the actors to do what they do that doesn't necessarily make like a great film yeah i i thought the best the best director uh i thought was not chloe Zhao, but uh actually emerald fennel for for or fennel or whatever uh for promising young woman a movie i didn't actually like that much promising young woman i thought was perfectly fine um, I, I thought it, I thought it was a cop out in a lot of ways. I thought like it was not nearly as mean as it should have been. But I thought Emer- Emerald uh, Fennell's direction was so good. I mean, she actually uh, the her framing of the shots, her use of of movement and motion, um, and and uh, her her performance of Carrie Mulligan, or I'm sorry, her direction of Carrie Mulligan's performance, which is uh, it's an unusual turn for her. Um, and I thought I thought uh, uh, Emerald did a very good job of bringing that out. But of course, Chloe Zhao won. So. Mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I didn't. Lo- I, I wasn't crazy about promising young woman either, for the same reason you just mentioned. I thought it was a little bit of a cop out, but it was interestingly done. And I thought it was a. They did a good like. I thought she did a good job of presenting each bizarre, slightly compromised situation in a way that you knew exactly what you're supposed to feel at any given moment, which I think is a hard thing for a director to do when she succeeds. Yeah. Uh, so what else? What else do we have here? Um, I, I want to. I, best supporting actor was was uh, the the category that I thought Chadwick Boseman would win his kind of. Uh, posthumous, uh, uh, you know, lifetime achievement award because he sadly, again, passed away uh, in in the middle of last year um, unexpectedly from from colon cancer. Uh, the I, I figured he would get nominated for uh, the Five Bloods, and I figured he would win in that category, even though I personally voted for uh, Paul Rassi uh, in Sound of Metal. He was great. He was great, uh, and the the I, Leslie Odom Jr. winning for One Night in Miami again, kind of baffling to me. I don't. Uh, I also, fine, fine performance, but yeah, I all I I think this goes to show another um, problem with just awards bodies generally is that I think there's sort of a, a dovetailing toward something that's very perform e like so he's like leslie adam jr sings as sam cook and that's pretty cool but it doesn't yeah. but it doesn't necessarily highlight but i think it's a really good performance like you said with paul rassi and one thing that i was a little disappointed about was that um that uh daniel kaluuya didn't get it for uh judas and the black messiah and i realized this comes out friday and we earlier we were talking about yeah you know like oh award contention times and originally this movie was supposed to come out in the fall so i nominated it but you know yeah i uh yeah i i did you see Judas in the black messiah i well i watched it i actually watched it last night i i didn't watch it until until last night so i it was not in awards contention for me yeah what'd uh, you think sadly um i thought it was fine again i i thought it was fine i thought i like i i 
if it felt it felt too biopicy for me to to quite work. I don't know. I there was something about it that just didn't click for me. I don't know what it was. Well, I don't know what, what it was. What did you I thought but did you what did you think of Kaluuya's performance? I thought he was very good. It was funny cuz the the first thing I noticed about him when he was on screen I was like, "Oh, he's playing heavy." Like he's clearly like he clearly put on but he didn't do it in like a showy way. It wasn't like a no. you know, Christian Bale or Robert De Niro like, "Look at me, I put on 100 pounds for this role sort of way." Right. He's just like thick he's bigger he's just like he's just bigger he's like bigger and bulkier um which which fits the role i i you know i i i thought he was very good in it and i like lakeith stanfield a lot in it as well i thought lakeith stanfield kind of trying to juggle that 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 internal cognitive dissonance of being both a like informer for the fbi and uh you know uh, a burgeoning up black the cause panther. of the black panthers well but this is i think this is what what uh annoyed me the most about the movie is that i could i, I the I needed a little more hand-holding on how seriously he was into the Black Panther movement and how much of a betrayal that was at the end. Because I feel like, well, I don't want to get into spoilers, but like, I feel like it doesn't, I feel like it, I feel like the, the emotional punch at the end just doesn't quite land for me. Cause I'm not, I wasn't a hundred percent sure how, mm-hmm. you know, if, if he was really committed to, to the cause. Um, uh, so let's talk about some things that I, I think we actually agree on and were good wins for us. Best original score. Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, John Batiste win for Soul. Mm. Um, now you, I know, I know you like Trent Reznor, right? Yes. <laughs> did I, you? Would what, what did you vote for in this category then? I voted for Minari. <laughs> oh, boo! <laughs> I thought, I thought it did a really good job. Uh, the Minari score of like adding to the drama of the film, which. Would, and the, to say that the film doesn't really have that much drama, but I feel the score really heightened it. So to me, it yeah. worked well. Okay, fine. <laughs> You're wrong. It was it was Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. That was a good piece. score too. That would have probably been my second choice. Yeah, I I loved it. I thought it I thought it really, I thought it captured both the, I thought it captured both of the worlds the movie existed in the kind of uh, afterlife with the uh, the the dig, the almost digital. Uh, nature of that score and the uh, or geometric in a way uh, iteration of that score and then the kind of uh, on earth jazziness of it all I thought it I thought it did a really good job yeah I think that's that's balancing those things um and let's the the last thing I want to talk about here is the unique to the Washington uh area Washington DC Area Film Critics Association which is the Joe Barber Award for Best Portrayal of Washington DC which is always kind of a weird category. Yes. It's always kind of a weird category because often oftentimes there are not many good movies uh set in or around Washington DC and even the ones that are set in and around Washington DC um uh are are often shot in like Toronto yeah. um or or somewhere. So it's it's kind of hard to tell what is what is what is good. But what did you pick this year? I picked Wonder Woman 1984 because they like to speak to your point. They actually shot it here in in DC, and they I thought it was so they didn't specify where what museum Wonder Woman worked in, but it, it, to me, like that that she lived in the Watergate and would like commute via the mall to a mm-hmm. museum was plausible to me. So yeah. I like what. Well- well, they show her walking into the Natural History Museum. Yeah, but they never say, and I, I, I don't know, they never specify. Well, that's where they have all the gems and stuff. That's what yeah. she's, I, I, it's hard, you're right, though. It's hard to tell if she's, like, specifically working there or kind of a free-floating 
you know, whatever. Um, uh, I also picked Wonder Woman 1984, which was not a very good movie, but I did think did a really good job of of getting, again, the geography of DC right. It's a very, it's a small thing, but it's mm-hmm. a thing that DC residents often get annoyed yeah, at. Is and people... I've written, I, I used to write a column about movies that try and depict DC badly. Um, probably the, more, the most famous example is like, is the 1987 thriller No Way Out where Kevin Costner somehow takes the train from Union Station to Georgetown, which is of course. silly. But... Can't do that. Come on. Can't so uh, I, I, I'm very, I'm very, it's something I've just kind of always thought about. So I was, a, I, while I didn't really like Wonder Woman 1984, I appreciated that aspect of it. Yeah, and, and like I say, it's 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 often kind of a weird category. There's there's usually a lot of like documentaries, right? Like, uh, in, in in the nominations, Boy State was nominated for best depiction DC while mostly taking place in Texas. So yeah, it takes I, place almost entirely in Texas. Yeah, right? and I mean, like the John Lewis documentary, I get it, but again, also like yeah. like to me, that's like best portrayal of like Alabama, right? You know, yeah. like it's yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I but I I did I really I actually did like uh, Wonder Woman 1984's uh, portrayal of DC, and it also got like it got little things about DC right, like the presumptuousness of interns. Um, you know, the guy who's like hitting on Wonder Woman because he's like, I'm an intern at the White House. Who wants to yeah. hang out with me? Well, like, and I, also I there's that it. one part where um, where Wonder Woman sleeps with this stranger who somehow embodies the soul of Steve Trevor. And then yeah, she, let's not get into the, the... Well, I just I only mention it because in the morning <laughs> she wakes up in the, his apartment, and I'm pretty sure the B roll of those ex- exteriors are like I used to live like ten years ago. So I enjoyed yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. What's your favorite uh, aside from No Way Out? What's your favorite dumb uh, geographical usage of DC? Mine, mine. I'll, I'll go first and let you think for a second. Okay. Mine, mine is in um, the uh, TV show House of Cards. When uh, uh, the uh, female reporter is thrown in front of the train at, I believe, a Georgetown metro stop. Yeah, and that's that, Baltimore, we, actually. That, like, Baltimore yeah. does have a, a, a small subway system, and that's where the scene occurs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my uh, personal example is also not a movie, but a TV show. It's the TV show Homeland. In the first season, there's a big what to do about an assassination attempt on the, on a, on the president or vice president or whatever in... Farragut Square. Farragut and, Square, that's right, like I remember skyscrapers. that. Yeah. <laughs> like sky, yeah, not, yeah. Not, not like just like tall buildings. Right. Skyscrapers. And yeah, yeah. anybody who lives who's been to Washington DC knows there are no skyscrapers here. There's a height restriction. Buildings can't yeah. be taller than twelve stories. I used to work basically right off Farragut Square. And I remember seeing that scene and thinking well that's dumb that's not that's not anything like what the city looks like come on yeah come on, so guys. that to me it's just because it's so important to the plot that like it yeah. sticks sticks out in my mind yeah uh all right well that, uh, that i i wanted to give i wanted to give people a sense of what it's like to be a film critic at the end of the year uh in 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 an organization like the washington area film critics association do you think we've done that do you think we've explained that i don't think they understand the hardship though alan i want to i want them to understand the hardship that we go through when we're we're forced to sit at home and watch you know four movies a day uh as we're cramming to get to the the end of the the line here they don't they don't know what it's like to be us and also they don't know how hard it is to second guess what other people are voting for and try and push your favorites in that mental <laughs> calculus is just 
exhausting. I mean, it's really, you know, people talk about uh, firemen and, and you know, uh, ambulance drivers and police officers and the such. But the real heroes out there are the film critics who are sitting there. We're watching the movies and we're trying to we're trying to guess what yeah, each the, other. It's so hard to watch movies of that haven't come out yet that we can watch at home. Yeah, we can watch we can watch them at home before you get to uh and we and we and then we get to we get to you know judge the fate of them for the for the rest Oftentimes of the Oftentimes months in world. advance months in advance months in advance all right uh thank you for for being on the show alan alan again is a film critic at the washington city paper um, a freelance critic for the washington post and a member of the washington dc area film critics association thank you very much for being on the show thank you it was my pleasure thank you for having me on all right we'll be back next week with another exciting episode of the bulwark goes to hollywood see you guys then (laughs) 